the US dollar value of Bitcoin doesn't matter. This is a game of accumulation and it's going to end up being what percent of the 21 million Bitcoin do you own? Hello there from the UK. How are you all? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by the Mighty Kraken, the best place to buy, sell, and trade Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got an interview with my good friend, Mr. Anthony Pompliano. You will all know him as Pomp. He is the host of the second best podcast in the space. But before that, I do have a message from my show sponsors. First up today, we have Casa, the best in Bitcoin security. It is time now, with a potential bull market coming in, to get your security shit together. If you've been leaving a lot of Bitcoin on an exchange because you are worried about holding it yourself, or you're worried about the risks of using a single hardware wallet, then there is no better solution than Casa. With Casa, it could not be easier to protect your Bitcoin from hackers, personal mistakes, in-person attacks, device failures, and so much more. And Casa, they're so badass, they've got a product for every Bitcoiner. With Casa Gold, you get triple the security of a hardware wallet and for only $10 a month. It really is a no-brainer. And with Casa Platinum, you get their 3 or 5 multi-sig, the best protection for large Bitcoin holders at a great price. And with Casa Diamond, you get a full service offering, including customized personal security review, inheritance, and of course, best-in-class security. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. Find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Also, we're going to talk about sportsbet.io, the best place for online gaming, and you know why. Because they accept Bitcoin. I've told you before, they don't just accept Bitcoin. They actually promote Bitcoin. They are supporters of Bitcoin. I've been out to Estonia to see them, hang out with them and meet their CEO. They are a Bitcoin team. And with the football season coming to a close, we've got a few games left. We've got the Champions League games to clear out. It's going to be super interesting, but we've also got the basketball has started. And for those who like a wager with sportsbet.io, you can now choose one price boost per day across each sport on every market they offer. If you want to find out more, head over to sportsbet.io, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T.io. Okay, onto the show today, and as I said, I've got my buddy Pomp on. He is a founding partner of Morgan Creek Capital, and he hosts the second best podcast in the space, what was called Off the Chain, and which is now the Pomp Show. Now, with the lockdowns and so many people being laid off from work, it seems like everybody's starting a podcast, and with Bitcoin, there is no exception. Lots of new shows coming out, and I always try and encourage people. I always say, if you've got something to add, if you want to do this, get out there and make a show. But at the same time, it's not easy. It's not an easy task. A lot of work goes into this, and it's not easy to make money from it. So a couple of years ago, I did a podcasting head-to-head with Pomp. We talked about a bunch of this. And with all the strangers going on right now, and with new podcasts popping up everywhere, I thought it would be cool time to get him back on the show and do this. So we recorded a show together. The show is going out on mine and out on his. It's the same show. But it was a lot of fun to do. There was no planning. We just got on and we shot the shit. Um, we got into a few things in this episode. We talked about his recent interview with Roger Veer, investing in Bitcoin businesses, and are we at the beginning of the next huge bull run like we saw in 2016 and 2017. I love this guy. He gets a lot of shit from people, but he's a really great dude. I love having him on, and when I'm out in New York, I love hanging out with him. Always love catching up and grabbing a beer. Do miss the guy. Anyway, if you've got any questions about the show, you want to reach out to me, you want to give me some shit, my email address is hello or whatbitcoindid.com. Outside of that, have a great week. Love you all and see you all soon. So what's up, Pump? All right, guys. What's up, man? Peter. What's going on, dude? Dude, what's going on with you? Hey, this is the first time I've seen you since you've been married, dude. I uh, know. Thank you. How did that go? Uh, it was fascinating. I enjoyed it. I'm excited. 
we got married in the middle of a uh, pandemic uh, in New York City, and it was just Polina and I. Uh, my brother was the minister or the officiant or whatever it's called, and uh, he started off the uh, ceremony, if you want to call it that, with uh, family, friends. Thank you so much for coming and making <laughs> the long trek to this momentous occasion. <laughs> hey, well, you saved a shit ton of money. Yeah. Oh, trust me. We're we're still gonna have like a a real um, kind of bigger uh, celebration. It was gonna be small to begin with. Only fifty people, so um, yeah. not a not not a, a huge operation. I've been to weddings that are like you know four hundred people, and you're just like, dude, are you are you doing this for yourself? Or are you doing this for the four hundred people who are here? Yeah, uh, I think they're usually doing it for the girl they're marrying. That's a that's a whole another thing, right? Yeah, because you were married before, right? Yeah, for for three months. <laughs> how, how did you do the wedding? We had a we had a big wedding in London. Well, not huge, like eight, 80 people. Uh, we got married at Westminster Register Office where Paul McCartney got married. Like a really cool uh, place. And then we had the reception at, what was it called? Um, St. Pancras Hotel, which is uh, right. King's Cross Station. Beautiful place. But uh, yeah, that, that didn't really work out for me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, you might you might even be longer longer married now than I was. So. <laughs> <laughs> now only three weeks, only three weeks so far. Uh, what what uh what, what are your thoughts on Bitcoin so far? La- last night we're recording this on Sunday. Uh, I think we're going to release in a couple of days. But uh, last night Bitcoin just absolutely ripping people's faces off and then dumping. Yeah, think? well, I thought it would at twelve. I didn't know. I've kind of stopped that whole play playing the kind of market thing and. Trying to tell tops and bottoms. My my Bitcoin investment strategy right now is accumulate, hold, and I've said I I wasn't going to sell any for unless I had to, right, dude. But I wasn't going to sell any for three halvings. We've had one recently, so I got two more halvings. That I'm not going to sell any for. So I've got like quite a long time horizon. I thought it might dump at twelve. Listen, I there was a time where I had a, a fair amount of Bitcoin back in 2017, and I fucked up and lost like eighty percent just by buying mining equipment and trading shit coins and just being a moron. And then like I stopped all that. I sold all my shit coins. I went Bitcoin only. And then in the last year, I've grown my Bitcoin stack by like forty percent. Okay. Just by yeah, it, and it, and that means like I've got more than I had. I I can't have less. I'm not going to lose any, and therefore, let's see where we are in ten years. So like, even though it did dump, I'm cool with that. What about it, you? I'm the exact same way. I, I only accumulate. I've been saying for a long time. It's just a game of accumulation. It's a fixed supply yeah. asset. Uh, how do you think about like not necessarily portfolio construction, but just like when you're buying Bitcoin? Do you are you obsessive about like, hey, every two weeks on this day at this time, I put a certain amount of money in? Or do you just kind of opportunistically acquire more Bitcoin? So I only earn it now. Ooh. I stop buying. Yeah. So Interesting. I did, Explain that. Well, Andreas talked about it. He said the best Bitcoin you get is the one you earn, right? It's mm-hmm. the one you earn. So a couple of things happen. You'll, you'll find this quite interesting. So what I do is like with my sponsors, I've always got at least one sponsor who wants to pay in Bitcoin. And what I used to do is I used to convert 75% to cash to run my business, pay my team, and then keep 25% in Bitcoin. And that's why I was able to accumulate some. Then about a week and a half ago, when Bitcoin was like 9.3, one of my clients paid their bill, and it was a quarterly bill, and paid in Bitcoin. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to leave this time for a couple of weeks. I'm going to see what happens. And then obviously we shot up now. So 
strangely, I, I'm not like thinking, oh, I'm going to sell that 75% now. Because I'm in profit on that Bitcoin, I just leave it on my balance sheet. So as I manage my business, I have my, my cash in the bank, cash out on invoice, and then I have my Bitcoin, right? Mm-hmm. And I might as well just leave that as Bitcoin on the balance sheet. If that never goes below 9,300, it doesn't matter what happens. Yeah. If we're always head of 9,300, that stays on the balance sheet. And whether that goes to 20, 30, 40K Bitcoin, it doesn't matter. So, so yeah, so I only own Bitcoin, and I also, I've, I've earned some playing poker this last few weeks. Yeah. Have you seen this poker game? No, what is it? You should, uh, it's uh, Chris organizes. It. It's like a bunch of Bitcoiners playing poker. Like Charlie Lee's there. Who else comes to play? His brother Bobby's there sometimes. Luke Martin's there. So we play every Thursday, we play. And I think I've earned like three Bitcoin. What What are the uh, buy-ins? It's like 0.3 Bitcoin. Like it's, we, it's 0.1, but you need to have 0.3. It's a 0.1 sit down. Yeah. And then you can you can you can rebuy. So everyone says to have like 0.3. We've been paying for like I think 13, 14 weeks. I'm like three Bitcoin up. That's not bad. Yeah. So it's all earned Bitcoin. I only I only earn Bitcoin now. And like I say, I've done about 40 percent up this year, and that's what I'll continue to do. And like I thought it would dump at 12 the 12 seemed like a number it would and also we went up we went from 9.2 to 12 pretty quick like we were overbought right yeah well I, I don't really pay attention so much to all of like the underlying daily metrics like I know some people watch like RSI and kind of all that stuff so I don't know kind of what all that was showing but we definitely went up very quickly from you know 9.9500 to 12,000 but I mean, look, it, it's one of these things where there's only so many assets in the world that go up 20, 30 percent in you know, a week, literally dump fifteen hundred dollars in seconds and then recover seven hundred dollars in you know, a minute later. Like, yeah, it's just, you know, Bitcoin is Bitcoin. You can't, you can't play that shit. Anyway, listen, I got a question for you. There's something else we should have done before that. All right. I want to talk to you about Roger Veer. Uh, all right. Let's do it. You, of course, I want to talk to you about that. OK, so firstly, I didn't listen to all of it. And what I did listen to, actually, it seemed okay. It was better than I expected. The, the reason I didn't listen to all of it is because there was nothing new. What I, every time, so I had it on, and I kept going back, and I was like, oh, I've heard all this before. So I would give it 10 minutes, come back, and I was like, like, I've heard it all before from him. So I didn't listen to, like, the last half. What did you get out of it? So, obviously, uh, when obviously. I agreed to, uh, to do this, uh, and Roger agreed to do this. There, it's not a secret to him or I that it would be uh, heavily scrutinized, right? Mm-hmm. And because of that, I took it, you know, overly serious, right? More serious than I normally take things uh, when I do these types of interviews. And uh, I reached out to some people. I got some ideas in terms of what I should uh, should ask about. On top of that, I also got, you know, quite a bit of feedback from the audience on Twitter, uh, etc. And Frankly, 80, 90% of the comments were very much like scammer, right? And it's like, oh, okay, like fine, if that's your opinion, whatever, but like why, right? And that's what I was trying to get at was like kind of get to layers two, three, four, five of the argument. And some people were able to clearly articulate that. And so first of all, to Roger's credit, like I asked him a lot of questions I think people want answers to and he didn't not answer them, really. He answered the questions. And so um, things like, you know, uh, his portfolio construction, his thought process behind why he did certain things, uh, what it would take for him to come back to Bitcoin and, and kind of, you know, identify or admit that Bitcoin Cash uh, didn't work and and things that, you know, it, it's very hard to have a conversation with somebody about what is obviously sensitive topics uh, when 
you're being combative with somebody. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you and I have talked about it a bunch of times before. It's just like, that's not my style. Right. Is I'll, I'll bring people on. I'm going to be respectful. Hopefully they'll be respectful back. And are there times where people say things and maybe I don't push back as much as somebody who, who wants to be combative will be sure. But at the same time, you know, that's kind of what the audience is there for. Right. Is that they let yep. people know on Twitter or whatever. And so I actually think that my biggest takeaways were one, you can't deny what Roger did in the early days of Bitcoin, right? And for Bitcoin. Uh, two, he has a very rational thought process behind uh, a number of decisions he made. What I do think, and, and I said it to him, is we just have a difference of opinion as to whether that was a good thought process and decision making or not. Um, and the part that, again, you got to give him credit for is like at the end, we kind of wrapped it up and said, all right, there's two views of the world. Here's why I believe my view. Here's why you believe yours. Ultimately, Neither one of our opinions matter. The market will decide. And so far, the market is deciding that Bitcoin is the winner and, and will be the winner. Uh, and Roger is basically betting on the fact that that's going to change in the future, but understands you know that that may not happen. Um, and so if that is kind of the path we go down, then I think at some point he would uh, he would come back to Bitcoin. Yeah, it's kind of, I, I, yeah, I'm not sure if he'll come back to Bitcoin. I'm not sure. But, I think he will. Hmm, I asked him that before. And he said he said he'd probably go off and do something else. I'm not sure he will. I'm not sure. Sh- but, you know, I have um, – let me go back a step. There's always nuance to some of this stuff, right? Yes. And especially when you're doing an interview. And I know what you mean about the combative stuff. When I did the Brian Armstrong interview, I knew there were a group of people who wouldn't like it. And they made a decision to dislike it before it happened. And the reason I knew that is, like, there was some really good progress in that interview. Yet what they did is they found the bits they didn't like, picked it out. And just complained about it. So I know I knew those fuckers wouldn't like it beforehand, and you know whatever to them. But but you have to construct an interview in a respectful way, and you want a bit of to and fro. You know it. I know it, right? But the thing about and about Roger is like I actually have some sympathies for him for some old stuff, right? So I have some sympathies for him. Bitcoin became something that was different from what he expected. But that does that all the time. Bitcoin does that all the time to a bunch of different people, right? And you just have to accept that. And he couldn't accept that. But he was so sold on this idea that Bitcoin is kind of cash, cheap, fast payments, and it just became something else, something possibly far more valuable. Now, some people will always say it's that. I I think it's disingenuous. If you look at the Bitcoin white paper, if you're going to scream about how great Satoshi is and this gift he gave to the world, I think you have to be honest and look at the white paper. He talked about online commerce. He talked about cash. So I think I I think you have to understand that some people believe that's what they were building, and then perhaps it was both things, perhaps it was something else. So I had some sympathy about that. My biggest issue, and this is actually more towards Roger, is kind of like, when do you move on from this dude? Like, when do you accept what's happened and just move on? Like, focus on Bitcoin Cash. Stop fighting. You're not you're not going to change Bitcoin by shouting at it anymore. Yeah, but but I think that 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 was kind of like. When I went into the interview and um, you know, I talked to him beforehand, before he even did the interview, and, and I think both of us, because we knew it would be so heavily scrutinized and, and all this stuff, like we both kind of just wanted to feel it, feel it out of like, are we both going to be respectful here? You know, kind of where, where do our differences lie? And, and, and really just make sure that it would be, frankly, worth our time to record it and also, too, for the audience to, to listen. Um, and I think the piece that was very clear was it's kind of like when you're a kid and let's say you've got a sibling – if you're nice to them, for the majority, they're going to be nice back, right? 
if you go in over there and, you know, with a wiffle ball bat and whack them in the head, like you're going to end up on the ground brawling, right? Like, like it's kind of like, you know, you, you especially if you're the older person, right? Or, or you're the person who, who's kind of um, initiating something. And so same thing with an interview, right? If you get on and all of a sudden you're just, you know, trying to get somebody with gotcha questions and, and poke them and, and catch them doing things, whatever. It's like, yeah, sure. Of course, they're going to be on edge. Of course, they're going to be overly defensive. Of course, they're going to uh, be a little bit more aggressive back. But if instead you just say, look, I just want to go through all of all of this. And uh, I actually want you to walk away from this saying I was able to put my thoughts and ideas on the record and also be able to hear the other side. And so a couple of times during the interview, I literally asked him, I said, hey, okay, you just described what you believe uh, and you just described, you know, for the, let's say the block uh, dispute, you just described why it something else happened. What is the argument of the other side of the table? Like, can you flip around and basically tell me the people you disagree with, what's their argument? And to his credit, like, yeah, he, he can actually very in great detail explain not only his argument, but also he can explain the argument of the people that uh, he disagrees with. And I think that is a sign of not only one, intelligence and, and kind of emotional intelligence, but also three, it's just like he understands the problems. Right. And, and that's kind of where I, I think, you know, when people who listen to it, they're like, wait a second, like this is a conversation that Roger hasn't had before of just he's showing that he understands there's two sides to this argument. He's betting on one side. There's people betting on the other side and the market's going to decide. Right. And, and so far, the market has leaned not in Roger's favor. Um, but I think the other piece that people have to walk away from this and, and, you know, he talks about it, but but doesn't quantify it is he says he's a bad trader. Right. And, and so if you kind of back out of that. Like he lost a lot of money doing this, right? So, so kind of his belief in something came with upside and downside. And so far he's experienced the downside. And, you know, to, to his credit, like he talks about that, right? And, and, he, and he was very kind of transparent about it and, and, and forthcoming. And so it's, you know, one of these things where people are complicated, you know, creatures, right? Like we're, we're just human. And so there, there's things that you can like about somebody, there's things that you can disagree with or not like. And in Roger's case, I think that there's a lot of people who are trying to put a binary, you know, good or bad label on. But if you look at it from the historical context, you know, there's a lot of people who wouldn't be here without Roger's work in Bitcoin. And then on the same side, there's a lot of things that, um, you know, I asked him about specifically like using Bitcoin.com, but people buying Bitcoin cash. And, you know, again, he, he described his thought process as to, you know, what, what they're doing or, or the logic there. And people can decide whether they, they think that's an acceptable answer or not. But I think that's the, the key is just people are complicated figures, right? Yeah, I wonder how it plays out for him. Like I said, I had a lot of sympathy for for early, the early things he did. He did a lot of things to help Bitcoin. And I, I had some sympathies for, for things not going his way. But obviously, a lot of that gets eroded away over time where you just see somebody repeating the same arguments. Yeah causing a bit of trouble, a bit of mischief, etc. Um, but I'm not like the type of person who's just going to sit there and just be like, hey, to you, I fuck you, I want everything to go to shit for you. you know, so, and I understand why some people have. They've got you know real PTSD around what happened with uh, Segwit 2X. You know, there's a real fear of a takeover of Bitcoin and and you know, Roger's involvement in, in certain things around that period of time. But I just wonder how it'll play out for him because... I don't think Bitcoin Cash has much of a future. It has a, I think it has, has a future of something that can be traded. But, uh, you know, I think it's very hard to build a cryptocurrency that lots of people use regularly. You know, Bitcoin is kind of amazing that it is used so regularly. Uh, you know, I actually, strangely enough, I actually do use Bitcoin quite a bit now. I probably do 
in terms of send and receive, 15 to 20 transactions a month now. And that's, that's actually just, yeah, using Bitcoin because it makes sense in all of those occasions. But I don't use anything else. I don't have a need for anything else. I could imagine a very rare scenario where I may use Monero but just because I'm too much of a moron to use Bitcoin in a private way. But I don't really use other cryptocurrencies. And I wonder if people are using perhaps Bitcoin Cash a bit out of a desire to keep it going, right? Give it some kind of energy. But ultimately, I just kind of... I th- I think it's... Do you know what? Let me add another thing in there, Pomp, as well. I just did um, a guest on a show today. They want to do a Bitcoin segment. And they said, try to explain Bitcoin. And I, you know, I did the whole, it's just like gold, but digital. If I'd have been trying to explain it as a way of doing payments and censorship-resistant payments, I think I would have struggled because everyone right now can benefit from a digital cold, especially with all the money printing. But do do people really care about censorship-resistant payments? I don't, I don't think... I don't. I think in an ideal world they would have it, but they don't really care. I mean, day to day, everyone is just spending money normally. So, I just, yeah, I, 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 I think the project's screwed long term. Yeah, I mean, look, I, you know, and I, I, I told Roger on, on it that obviously we have a difference of opinion as to the future outlook of that, and and frankly, it's something the market's going to decide. So, so, you know, it is what it is. Um, the the part that I think people have to remember is uh, one of the mistakes that many investors um, or you know market participants will make is they look at something as a snapshot today, right? And so you know this is the um, the Paul Krugman the internet will be never be more important than the fax machine type stuff, right? This is uh, looking at you know Bitcoin in 2014 at, in a single point of time. And what I think that technology folks uh, are very good at doing, because they've seen the pattern so many times, is they're able to understand what this thing is today, what are the structural components of it, and what foundation does that lay for it to evolve over the coming you know, 10, 20, 30 years. And to me, we all like to debate the merits of what can it do right now this second. But when you kind of say, hey, look, that's not the right conversation. Instead, it is um, the structural components. Uh, there is nothing you know more powerful, valuable, and exciting, uh, in my opinion, than that structural component of Bitcoin. And it really mm-hmm. just comes down to, to three things, right? One is it has a fixed supply, which, you know, as we talked about, um, the money printing. Two is uh, it's fully decentralized. So, the decentralization is actually the you know then kind of the the, the ramification of that is censorship uh, resistant payments and kind of all that stuff. But decentralization is a structural piece, and then the third thing and, and probably the most important in my mind is it has market adoption. And I think one of the key pieces uh, that those who are not students of history on a technology front miss is the best technology does not win. Right? That that is a complete fallacy. It is what gets adoption. And you can go back to the VHS versus Betamax. You can go, you know, all, all through history, you can go through all these different things. But money specifically is a belief system. It is a network effect business, right? And it's very viral in the sense of you send it to people and kind of do all this stuff. And because of that, I think that Bitcoin actually has a much bigger advantage uh, than people realize. Nothing to do with the technology it is simply the market adoption, right? And, that, and, that, and that's frankly one of the things that Roger and I kind of came to an agreement in terms of where our difference of opinion lies, right? He believes that technology is important. I believe that market adoption is important in the early days, and we'll see how it plays out. But, you know, that, that that's kind of one of the key differences in opinion. Do you think he got anything out of it? Do you think, because I, I might go and watch the rest of it now, but do you think by the end of it, he left 
with any you know, a change of opinion of his, any potential insights into where he should look at things differently, or do you think he just came to replay his message and will have left exactly the same? Um, I don't think that, uh, and I didn't approach it as like, let me try to convince you. Like we, we were pretty clear no, during it in terms of uh, I didn't want to get into some you know argument or even really debate. It was more of just like let's outline you know, quote, unquote, the facts, and there will be people who scoff at the idea of facts, right? But just like, what do you believe? What do other people believe? Why? Here is the, you know, kind of different options somebody has. And why do you believe you're right? And why do you believe, or, you know, why do the other people believe they're right? And, and I think we did that. Hopefully, what he got out of it is, uh, one, I think that somebody who uh, is in the position that Roger is in, he really believes in the ultimate goal of a digital decentralized currency being adopted globally, right? The disagreement is on the path to get there, but but kind of the finish line, I actually think that Bitcoiners, Roger, and many other people all agree on that. And I think that people who uh, are seen as either controversial or, you know, just there's a lot of backlash, right, and kind of negative uh, feedback, they just want to be heard. Right. And, and I think that in many cases, uh, Roger, when he's uh, been asked to do interviews or whatever, because of the environment in which the interview gets done, it's just turns into this argument and, and kind of is very unproductive. And, and he's actually not able to articulate why. And so that's my biggest hope is that everyone was able to just clearly understand, like, hey, here's why. And, you know, look, frankly, when I was going into the interview, you know, I, I even told Polina, I was like, well, this either goes one of two ways. Either this is going to turn out great or this is going to be an absolute train wreck in terms of people are going to listen to this and, you know, be mad at me and, and kind of do all this stuff. Uh, but you kind of know that going into it, right? So, mm -hmm. so you kind of act accordingly. Um, and, you know. Well, the ones who are mad at you, though, they're, they're mad at you before it's done. That's That's the point of this stuff and also it's the difference between what is an interview and a debate they are two entirely different things some people want a debate but they don't understand an interview is about constructing a series of questions to take you through almost like a timeline of a discussion and it's it's constructed very differently from a debate but the ones who didn't like it made that decision because you did the interview so that that was my whole point up front was there was a bunch of people when i said the day before I was going to do it, all, you know, upset and freaking out and stuff. And I just responded to a couple of people and said, hey, well, just wait till you hear it. And then and then if you don't like it, knock yourself out, right? Then like, yeah, all of your criticism is fair. Um, and, and again, to some of those people's credits, you know, after they listened to it, they actually were like, you know what? This is actually pretty good. Like I actually thought it was, you know, valuable. And uh, I haven't heard Roger articulate ideas in this way, but whatever. So to me, like that's a win, Right, um, and I'm sure there's some people who, who don't agree with that, but that's fine. You know, you obviously can't please everybody, and no, you move on, right? I mean, there's times I've I've thought about uh, interviewing Roger again, and people are listening to this like, oh, you're just turning back into a shitcoin podcast. You just, and the point is, is that like I would interview. I like interviewing a range of people. I like interviewing challenging people. I like interviewing different. You know, I just interviewed Stephanie Kelton, who wrote a book about MMT, and she is a proponent of MMT. And that's not a pro-Bitcoin idea. And a lot of people disagree with that, but I really enjoyed doing that. Um, and there are times I've thought of doing the Roger interview again. Well, I did a second one once, but sometimes I'm like, I just can't be bothered to deal with the backlash at times. And I know I should, and most of the time I'm all right, but sometimes I'm just like, I just can't be bothered to deal with the backlash. But me as an interviewer, like, I don't know if you think like this. 
I try to explain to people sometimes, whilst it's a Bitcoin podcast, it's not a podcast just to cheerlead Bitcoin. It's to provide content, entertainment, to challenge, to critique. It's to do a bunch of things, right? And sometimes you almost want to get on what is considered, I'm going to say, quote, unquote, the, the villain, because the villains sometimes offer a different perspective. It, again, it goes back to um, some of my favorite questions to ask people are, what would it take to change to change your mind on X? Right. So you just articulated why you believe X. What would it take to change your mind? And it literally comes down to, do they understand the, the opposite argument? Um, and, and so I think you're right in that when you bring somebody on who has that opposite argument, you're exposing people to a more holistic picture. That doesn't mean necessarily that they're going to change their mind, but they're now better informed to understand the, the counter argument. Right. And, and we live in a society that's so uh, like divisive. Right. And it's just like, hey, let me go in my echo chamber and just kind of yell and scream that I, I fear people actually don't have the intellectual rigor uh, to analyze situations because they're not used to understanding the counter argument. And, and I think that's a crucial, crucial part of, en- uh, of really making any uh, kind of analysis or argument. Yeah. I mean, and also you just doesn't matter what medium you're following content on. It can be YouTube, it can be the news on TV, it can be the radio. The The journalists out there aren't just interviewing the good guys. Sometimes they're interviewing the villains, the bad guys, the enemies. You know, I, I think a lot of people would like to hear an interview right now with Gisley Maxwell. I think she's a bad human being. She's most likely a, an enabler of paedophiles, possibly a paedophile herself. Um, but I think some people would like to hear an interview with her. She's a bad human, but they want to hear her side. So, But it seems we get into this like world of Bitcoin and people don't want to hear from the bad dudes or the people they perceive as bad dudes. Completely agree. What have you seen with the podcast uh, during uh, kind of this whole virus situation? Have downloads gone up, gone down? Have the guests changed? What's been uh, different for you? Yeah, yeah, good question. Uh, so they dropped at first. Uh, I had a big drop at the... I think it was like... Yeah, I can tell you. I think it was like at the end of February, just when it started to kick off, when it just started to get a bit weird. I um, Yeah, end of February, I had a big drop. And February and March were, you know, just levels I'd seen like a year ago. But then because I couldn't travel, I focus on the podcast, focus on the guests. And then I've seen growth again. I don't know if the growth is. I think a couple of things went on. I think people weren't going to the gym. They weren't commuting. And they'll sit and watch Netflix and just kind of like just not consuming podcasts as much. And then I think what happened was life got a little bit back to normal. And then I think we got some new people come in who are kind of interested in Bitcoin because all the crazy shit going on. And then also I've just like focused on trying to get like, you know, top guests on as well. So now I, I got back in growth. I've just done the numbers for last month as a, another record month. I don't know if I'm anywhere near you at the moment because you've been absolutely flying, dude. Yeah, well, we also have different strategies, right? I, I, yeah. I um you know, I make no secret about it. Mine is a volume game, and uh, I try to have as many conversations as I possibly can. Uh, because to me, the the podcast, um, I think some people take the approach of like, I'm going to make sure that every single episode I do is a hit and meets, you know, kind of the, the standard of in, in terms of the guest and the depth of the conversation, whatever. I think my promise to the audience is a little bit different, which is uh, I'm trying to learn as much as I possibly can. And so my you know quality bar uh, in terms of maybe audio or uh, some other things may be a little bit lower uh, than others, but it's because I'm replacing it with volume, 
right? So mm. where, whereas if I record an episode and it takes you know two or three days to edit and get perfect, and if I wanted to do transcripts and show notes and kind of all that stuff, I just couldn't do the volume that I do, right? Or I'd have to have a, a massive team to kind of crank all that out. I think there's other people who say, well, I want that stuff, and therefore I'm only going to do one or two conversations uh, per week. And so, you know, ultimately, like, you kind of find the audience that wants what you want, right? Yeah, and, of course. And I think that's the beauty of, uh, of podcast is that there's so many different styles. There's so many different show formats. Um, people will but eventually you just go to, where they want. So when you rebranded, you started doing a little bit more. You started getting some guests on who weren't even, like, anything to do, I'd say even finance. Didn't you have, like, a sommelier on? Oh, yeah. My friend Dustin. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, I mean, look, part of this is, you know, again, I want to learn. Right. Mm-hmm. And now take, take Dustin's a good example. So Dustin is uh, a guy who uh, literally got interested in wine as a server at Ruth Chris Steakhouse, you know, Not 20 right. years ago or whatever, uh, ends up going through the entire process, becomes a master sommelier, uh, works at uh, a number of the best restaurants in the world, and then uh, becomes the uh, wine director at 11 Madison, which was voted the number one restaurant in the world. And then he left and he started a uh, a retail wine business uh, called Verve Wine. And uh, now it's working on a restaurant and kind of all these other things. But a lot of people are like, well, what the hell could you learn from that guy if you're not interested in wine? And I think there's kind of a couple of key pieces, which is one, every single place that guy's worked for the last 15 years, there's been this obsession with perfection, right? And and just absolute, everything has to be perfect all the time. And and so there's this like rigorous process and and the way they think about the customer experience and like all of that stuff. Uh, Two is he's a highly successful person, right? He he literally uh, has built a business, right? He's worked at some of the most successful businesses. And so I think you can learn from that. And then the third thing is he's just got a very unique view of the world, right? He's interested in finance and technology and all this stuff, but he operates in a world that many of us don't know. And and then you kind of overlay on top of all of it. He's one of 200 of the best people at his craft in the world, right? There's only like 200 master sommeliers in the world. And so you look at that and you're just like, yeah, I want to talk to that guy. Like, and, you know, I cheat because I know him pretty well uh, and talk to him regularly. But when he comes on the podcast, my hope that people take away is not like, you know, what's his favorite wine? It's all those other lessons. And so I won't have those people on every day. But to have one on every once in a while, I think, provides value. And, you know, between you and I and the uh, the five people listening to this, uh, <laughs> I don't care if they don't like it. Right? Like, it, like I, this is for me to learn and people just get to listen. <laughs> What's your have you what's your like big plan? Like because I know I'm I know exactly where I'm going. I know my strategy. I know what's what I strategy? want. What's your strategy? Well, my end goal is just to be able to make any content I want any day, and not give a fuck if anyone wants to listen. You know, a bit like how Rogan does comedians. He does MMA, but then he'll just do random people. Like he, but like MMA and comedians is his thing, and he does the other stuff, and he just does what the hell he wants. Uh, I kind of want to get to that point. I want to do, I want to interview rock stars, basically people who play the kind of music I listen to. I've been interviewing a few porn stars recently. They're always entertaining. I want to do more of that. I want to do finance and corruption, really. They're just every day, just make whatever show I want. Now I'm making enough money and not give a fuck about what anyone says on Twitter. Like that's the goal. And that's what I'm trying to build towards. And I'm gradually getting to, you know, I do the Bitcoin and, 
the finance and the cor- corruption stuff through Bitcoin and Defiance. I am about to do my first, I'm doing a four-part documentary about a rock band called The Ghost Inside. Starts next week. They had this crash. It's a cool story, actually. In 2015, they're a screaming heavy metal band pomp, right? And they just released their album and they broke out into the Billboard charts, which is unheard of for that type of band. Then a year later, they're in a fatal bus crash and it takes four years for them to get back to play their next concert because they're so fucked from it. So I'm doing a four-part thing about that. But like I am, I'm I'm putting these like little markers around of the things I want to do, and then trying to get it to all kind of converge. Like, but I know I'm I'm, I'm I know exactly where I'm going with it and what I want to do. And Bitcoin is one of those things. But like, I'm wondering what for you, what what is your goal? I don't know if I necessarily have a a master plan. I think the kind of guiding light, if you will, is. Uh, I'm just going to do the things that I enjoy and that I find fun. Um, you know, I, I joke all the time, but it's not really a joke where I just say, look, I create a lot of content. I enjoy doing it. If one day I wake up and it's not fun anymore, I will stop that day. Like I will not spend a single day doing this if I'm not enjoying it. And so there could be a day in the future where I wake up and I go, I'm not writing the uh, the email anymore. I'm not recording another podcast. See you guys later. It was a great run. You know, I'm out. And, uh, you know, look, I hope that doesn't happen, right? Because I genuinely do enjoy this stuff. I learn a lot. Um, I've met some amazing people. But, uh, but but I think that's kind of like my first rule is I don't want to spend a minute doing something I don't want to do. The second piece is uh, I, I think that the world is changing, right? And, and that change, uh, I think I am one of many people that are kind of living that. You're another where the brand or the thing that people want to pay attention to is an individual, not an organization. And so if you kind of see that play out, you know, is that starting companies? Of course. Is that creating content? Of course. Um, Is that uh, kind of doing other things that uh, individuals used to do? I think so. Uh, I, I just don't have some like master plan. I just know that, you know, we're moving to a world where people want to subscribe to individuals. Right. And, and uh, all the content stuff definitely helps with that. Um, all the social media stuff helps with that. Um, but but ultimately, you know, I, I don't look at this as a, a content game. Uh, I very much look at it as building uh, a massive, massive audience. Uh, and then when you have the audience, you can figure out what are the things they want. Right. And how do you solve problems for them and, and do things like that? So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty transparent about the fact that, like, there will be companies that we create in the future and, and things like that. Uh, I have no clue what those are today, um, but but I'm not really worried about it until, uh, you know, some idea comes around or somebody writes to me and says, hey, I really want you to do X and I can't stop thinking about it. And then we'll go do it. Mm. All right. Let's get into that weird world stuff, because and that's an interesting point, because. I think uh, I think it's a I think we could say we we're all. Let's go five six months back. We we're all kind of on autopilot pr- prior to the pandemic, right? You know, the world's ticking along. We're all doing our thing. We know there's like some problems in the economy. The likes of yourself and Caitlin Long and Travis Kling and Rao Powell have all been saying the same thing. But I, you know, always believe we'll just kind of be okay. And now we're at this moment in time which is like history is being rewritten i told my son i said look there's going to come, come a time when you have kids and you're going to tell them about what happened in 2020 and the pandemic how the world shut down because it's completely unprecedented in our time but i kind of get this feeling we're not going to come out the end of this pandemic and it's back to normal 
I think there's going to be a lot of expectations for a different kind of world. And maybe it will be. Maybe it will be a normal world. Or maybe we'll go to a more authoritarian world. Or maybe we'll go to a world of more liberty. And that that I don't know. But I feel like we're living through that moment now. And I I don't think it's going to be a smooth path. I think a lot of weird and scary shit's going to happen over the next few years. And I've got like a mixture of fear and excitement about it all. Uh, a bit more on the fear side. Because revolutions are always bloody but also a bit more excitement because hopefully we can dismantle or not we i mean hopefully some of the 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 bullshit stuff around government and finance and central banking begins to be dismantled but it's a weird time dude yeah i mean you know it 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 really depends on your perspective. And the thing I keep telling myself is we live in the safest, most prosperous time in human history, right? And generally, uh, the trend is that that will continue. And are there short periods in certain geographic locations where that's not true? Or you kind of reverse course? Of course. But overall, humanity continues to get better, continues to get safer, continues to get more prosperous. And I think that that's like one thing in the back of my head that always just like, yeah, just chill out. Like it's going to, the world's going to keep spinning. At the same time, I do think that in these moments of uncertainty and and chaos, uh, there are things that happened in history that uh, are not just in history books. And and what I mean by that is, you know, I, I always ask people like, you've read about the American Revolution, right? As an example, like there was a bloody war. And that set up America and and kind of freedom and and everyone knows the whole story. What makes you think that there won't be more American revolutions in the future, not necessarily involving America, but that type of situation all around the world? And again, it doesn't mean that they're all going to happen tomorrow all at the same time. And, you know, there's going to be mass chaos and it's going to look like the purge. But it does mean that, you know, history repeats itself. And so do you think currencies are going to fail in the future? Of course, we're going to have currencies. Which ones, when, all that stuff is hard to tell. Is there going to be violent conflict? Of course. Where, with who, when, that's all up for debate. That's all up for um, a, a lot of kind of people smarter than, than I. But, but I think that even with those things happening, we will continue to live in a better and better world. Uh, Technology is a big piece of that. And so it's one of these weird situations where I don't worry so much about kind of the, the big picture stuff. Um, I'm aware of it. I obviously talk about it a lot. But when I go to sleep at night, I just worry about myself, right? And and when you do that, I think that is a very uh, kind of sobering, calming effect of like, am I good? If I'm good, all right. Like, I'll, I'll keep figuring it out for me. And I can't, you know, affect what uh, a central bank does or what a country does or, um, you know, prevent a war from occurring. Like if those things happen, they happen and, and I'll respond along with everybody else accordingly. But but it ultimately is just like you're only in control yourself, right? And so just worry about that. I think there's a slight – I think I've got a slightly different outlook and I, t- I tell you why. Because when I go to bed, I have to think about two little people as well. So I've got a 16-year-old, got two years of school left – and he has a choice of kind of university, which I, for obvious reasons, don't want him to go to because, yeah, he's not going to be a doctor. He's not going to be a lawyer. So he doesn't need to. He's got creative skills. And I've got a daughter who's 10. And so I have to go. I go to bed worrying about the world where they're going to be in, in say, you know, five to 10 years time. So, you know. 
But can you change what kind it? Of, uh, like that's that, like, and, and when I say I worry about myself, like obviously I worry about myself, Polina, you know, my brothers, my parents, like you know, th- there's a small group of people that I include in worry about me. But like, can you change the world uh, in the sense of uh, reverse course from any of that happening? No, no, of, of, of course not. But there's that there is that that point. Like I don't vote, right? Just I just got no interest anymore. But people say, well. People say, well, if you don't vote, you can't influence. And, and democracy is based on the fact that enough people do go and vote and you get that kind of consensus from it. You know, for, if we look at something like global warming, if, and I'm you know, a huge hypocrite because of the amount I fly, etc. But if we all do nothing, and if you believe global warming is caused by humans, then it will get a lot worse. If you think I can't individually make a difference. So you have to do a little bit. And I just think... I think the thing with kids is not that I think, can I change the world and make it a better place? I, I, I Obviously, I can't. But are there little things I can do to make the part of the world I live in a better place? And maybe that's maybe that's first starting with the the boundaries of my house. Can I do things in that to make the world a better place for my children? Can I, you know, then outside that boundary around my friends and social communities? And then, you know, so what are the things we can do better? But I just, I do worry, I do worry for what kind of world we're heading towards and what opportunity they will have. And it's multiple things, Pomp. Like, it's not just... You know, it's you've got to think about opportunities because of AI and automation. You know, what kind of what kind of career should I be kind of nudging them towards so they have opportunity? What kind of things should I be exposing to them in the world and telling them not to worry about? I mean, maybe just tell them to avoid politics. <laughs> yeah, but I, but I think that like this is a perfect example, right? So take global warming as a uh, as kind of a talking point, right? Yeah, we don't know what's true, right? And and People get very uh, sensitive about this, but I can show you studies on both sides of the argument, and also I can show you studies that uh, are very compelling from very well-respected people that would disprove the other argument, right? So kind of there's tons and tons of data, tons of studies, and ultimately I'm not a scientist, right? And so my ability to sift through all that and find, quote-unquote, the truth is, you know, little to none. What I do think is you can simply say, well, if it's true or it's not, is my life going to change if I basically uh, default to it's true and I act accordingly? I don't think that that's going to uh, necessarily uh, be a bad thing, right? So, so I can basically act as if it's true, even if it's not, my life isn't going to materially change. And uh, if it happens to be true, then I kind of did my part. Now, what is doing your part? And I think that this is the the... Um, the, the kind of in, maybe not inaccurate thinking, but it's where people, uh, because we're human, they want to feel like they have something to do, right? And so uh, one of the most popular things around global warming is I'm not going to fly. Okay. If you don't fly, do you think the plane's still going to fly? Of course it is, right? And so unless you're going to get uh, enough drop in demand to remove 20% of flights for an airline company, you choosing to fly or not is not going to change anything, right? And people don't like that answer because it feels like, no, I can have, you know, I can have an impact, right? Like we're like, we're constantly told you can have an impact, you can do something. But I think that where you can have an impact is it's less about uh, on the micro level for a lot of these world problems. Like, no, you actually can't change an election as an individual. Right. You're part of a much bigger thing. You can't change global warming as an individual. Right. By just simply not flying or something like that. 
where if you want to have an impact, I always tell people, stop being on the, the defensive side and go play offense. And so if you want to change global warming, like go build a company where you can get access to lots of resources to actually have a material impact on a macro level, right? If you mm. want to change politics, voting is uh, something that you are one of millions that are going to do, right? So actually, if you, st- if you go vote or you don't, it's not going to change the election, right? In many, many cases. But if you want to change the political thing, then go run to be or go work on a campaign, right? Like, like there's almost this feeling of um, you've got to be much more strategic and I think intelligent about the impact that you want to have. It's not, you know, did I put things in the recycling bin or not? Because the, the dent that you can make in the problem is so small. If that's the thing that you really care about, then like, then go actually work on it. And the problem with that is, uh, one, you find out that uh, if there's more friction, now all of a sudden people don't really care, right? Like, yeah. it's, e- it's easy to like, <laughs> they don't hey, care. yeah, like, uh, okay, cool, I'll put it in the recycling bin. But if you want me to like go somewhere on Saturday and like actually do something that really matters, like, oh, I don't care about the problem that much. And then the second thing is uh, there's only so many problems you can focus on. Right. So if yeah. you sit somebody down, you say, what are all the issues you care about? Like they'll have this laundry list of things, everything from, you know, social justice issues to environmental issues to whatever. And then you say, OK, but you can only work on one. What's the one issue? And you find like they actually probably do have the one thing they care about more than everything else. But it's like, all right, then go devote your time, energy and resources to that one thing and actually make an impact rather than trick yourself into having, you know, little to no impact on a whole bunch of things. Right. And so I think that the focus uh, is a really big piece of it. Yeah. Look, I, I know you're right. I, I know you're right. And it's just, I don't know. I just think about it differently. Like we've lived through ourselves, like we're a similar age. We've lived through probably the best time ever. Right. As you said, more prosperous, more opportunity. It's cheap to travel the world. Like I, I think I went to 18 countries last year. We've lived in such an amazing time where technology is incredible, relatively safe in the countries we're in. I just feel very lucky to do that. But but I've got a feeling like definitely the next decade is not going to be as good. There is going to be this sharp economic impact. I mean, what was that? What was the GDP for like 9%, 11% in the US? Like annualized? Uh, oh, uh, the drop in GDP for Q2 is negative uh, 9.5, which is 30, yeah. 32.9% uh, annualized. Uh, in yeah, so what was it? The Great Recession was 6.5%. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but here's the thing, right? So like – and again, this is where you start getting into the nuances all the, of this stuff is we had a 9.5% drop in actual Q2 GDP, yet billionaires made over half a trillion dollars. Uh, yeah, at the same time, right? Yeah, but we now, know why. Well, well, but but here's the whole thing: is you can't stick a black and white label on the situation because if we keep heading in the direction we're heading, it actually will be a fantastic decade for a lot of people, right? And it'll be a horrible decade for a, another big part of the population. And so let's just say for you know the, the basis of this conversation, it's fifty fifty, right? Fifty percent of people are going to do fantastic because they're the ones that own. Investment assets, you know, they have know how money works, all that kind of stuff. And the fifty percent that live paycheck to paycheck, have only cash savings, no investment assets, they're going to suffer. Like you can't say, oh, it's going to be a bad decade. Because yeah, but I don't think that's going to happen. What do you mean? Well, 
I don't think 50% of people are... I know you said for the sake of conversation, but I don't think 50% of people over the next decade are going to have a great time and 50% are going to struggle. I just think I think it's going to be an aggregate drop for most people. Like it's going to be... An, so we're going to have a lot of people out of work, a lot of people struggling to get by. Uh, you know, we live in a country where whatever you think of socialism or social safety nets, we have them. We have people who rely on welfare programs more people are going to be rely on that, but the government's going to have less money. And I think we're going to see a lot of social unrest. Well, I mean, we're already seeing that, especially in the US. So, so I don't see it playing out like that. That's the point. Like, I am prepared now for a for a tough decade coming, But in my mind. I don't think that that's different, right? Like, like that's just a natural progression of a society, which is, so in the United States, uh, for example, 40% of government spending is on people over the age of 65, Right. So kind of a lot of uh, money is spent on an older population. Obviously, the uh, baby boomer generation is going to continue to feed into that. And there's many people who think by 2030, the amount of money spent on people over the age of 65 out of the government budget be 50 percent. So, you know, kind of 25 percent increase over the next 10 years. That is just natural in terms of your demographics get older, right? You have a big part of your population. Now, with that said, you kind of have two options. Right. Is either one, if you want to continue to have the um, the economic boom that, let's say, over the last you know, 10, 12 years, like you just move to a different country. Right. So so if you get really scared, like you can move to a country where the economic uh, prosperity shifts. Right. And people will debate what that country would be, but th- that's fine. Or what you can do is you can understand structurally how it works. And if you understand structurally how it works, there are going to be people who do really, really well if you're right in, in the scenario that you described. And I think that's the, the key piece is this is not a uh, access type situation. This is simply an education problem, right, which is people don't understand what is happening. And because they don't understand, they're going to get hurt if they understand what's happening they can make very easy decisions to actually benefit from the situation rather than be hurt by it. And so if we can change that education, you know, how, what percentage of the population is educated on this stuff? If you can increase that percentage, you can actually shift it from a negative situation to a positive situation. That's just very hard to do. Yeah. Again, I don't know. I, I, perhaps I'm just seeing it for you, d- differently from you. Cause I, it's little things. Like I said about the kids, like I'm thinking, I remember I had this company, I had this agency in London, Pomp, and we used to put out a, and this was, we're talking seven years ago, we'd put out a new job position, and it'd be, say, a junior, and we get 80 to 90 applications for one role, and it'd be people with degrees and a first and second and third, and I'll tell you a funny story, actually. One guy who got one of the jobs just came and knocked on the door and just said, look, I've seen the jobs up, can I just talk to you about it? And I was like, yeah, of course. And he got the job there and then. And another guy did an application as an infographic who got a job. But the point being is we got a lot of applications. We just had a thing in the UK. There was a a role for a receptionist that had 1,000 applications. Like there's going to be fewer jobs available, a lot more people going for those jobs. So I'm in that place. I'm thinking, right, I've got kids leaving school in two years and in eight years. You know, if they're not going into higher education, what are the skills they need what are the skills they're going to need to be have an opportunity to get an interesting job, you know, a well-compensated job, or even a job they just enjoy? Because it is going to be competitive and the workplace is changing. Yes and no, right? Which is, I think that there's going to be less of the same type of jobs, 
but there's going to be much more of the new type of jobs. And what I mean by that is so, – so think back. Um, there's a point in time in, uh, in the United States where 98% of people were farmers, right? Obviously, that's not true anymore. And so I, I don't know what the number is, 2%, 5%, yeah. you know, whatever it is now. But that's not like all the jobs went away. It's just that those people went and found different types of jobs. And so if you look, you know, again, let's call it 20, 30 years out, what are the things that are going to be in high demand? Well, obviously, anything around technology will, will be incredibly uh, important. And so you can kind of just go through everything from design to computer science to, you know, analytics, like all of that type of stuff. Those jobs, if you go and you talk to companies, many of them will say, we can't find enough people. Right. And that's why they're paying them so much money and they're doing all this kind of stuff. And so I think that it's very vertical specific. And unfortunately, and kind of what you're highlighting is the people who are uh, out of work right now tend to be service, hospitality, you know, kind of lower socioeconomic status, you know, kind of the, the people at the lowest end of a corporate ladder. And those jobs are heavily commoditized because there's a million other people who can do the same job. And so you put out a receptionist and you get a thousand applications. If you put out, you know, uh, I need a self-driving um, autonomous vehicle engineer, right? You actually don't get any applications and you got to go try to find somebody at another company and recruit them to leave. Right, now, okay. it, it's it's not fair to say, you know, hey, Peter, your 16-year-old should learn how to be a, you know, autonomous driving engineer in the next two years uh, if he's not one interested in it to, you know, hasn't already spent time doing it. Like all, all there's challenges here, but I do think what it hints at is – as a society, we are going to have to retrain entire generations with new skills for those new jobs. It will happen. It's just how quickly does it happen and who are the people who get retrained versus the people who get left behind. Again, like these transitions, they, they just happen over and over again in history. It sounds pretty you know, bleak, but that's just what happens. Yeah, I guess, I guess you're – I'm not even saying optimistic versus pessimistic – Although I'm being pessimistic, I think you're just saying it's just the way it is. Shit will yeah. figure it out. Shit will figure it out. It, it, it's a thing where I generally believe humans solve the problems that they face, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and that's part of the beauty of the human race. Uh, but also, I think that uh, we have a lot of recency bias, right? We, we always think that like what we're going through is different than what's ever happened before. Um, and there are differences, right? That for sure, we've never had a global pandemic when the internet allowed information to, you know, kind of be disseminated so quickly and then have a federal government willing to step in and, and respond with quantitative easing. So there are nuances in there that are different than any global pandemic in the past. But at the same time, like there's been plenty of civilizations that have dealt with some sort of, you know, massive public health crisis. And so what we need to be smart about is learning from history at the same time understanding what are the unique advantages we have today uh, in a situation. I actually mm -hmm. think one of the crazy things is in past retrainings of a society, we didn't have the internet, right? And so like it, it's a massive advantage for us. Now, yep. are people going to be self-starters? How, how do we deal with the cost structure for that? You know, how do you get certification if you're not going to a university? Like, like there's things that need to be figured out in there. Uh, but I generally believe that entrepreneurs will figure that stuff out. Like, they're the people who solve the problems in society. And so we should encourage as many of those people to step up and, and do that as possible. Um, everything from, you know, just emotional support to, to capital to, to other things as well. 
Next up, I speak to Pomp more about Bitcoin and podcasting and other stuff. But before that, I've got a message from my super amazing sponsors. So firstly, we're going to talk about Kraken and why they are the best place for buying Bitcoin. And with a crazy bull market potentially coming, you want to be buying your Bitcoin at a place that you can trust, that's got your back. And with Kraken, you get world-class security. They are the most trusted cryptocurrency exchange in the market. No filthy hacker is going to get hold of your Bitcoin. And with their 24-7, 365 customer support, whatever issue you have, whoever you are, they're going to sort it out for you. And they also have a comprehensive suite of tools for buying Bitcoin. So you can go up to Kraken.com where it could not be easier to sign up and start buying and selling Bitcoin. But also, they've got a beautiful mobile-first app so you can buy Bitcoin on the go. So if you're out, you're in the pub, or your mate's in the park, you're thinking, I want some more Bitcoin, you can whip out your phone, get onto Kraken Pro, and start trading Bitcoin. And with their margin trading, futures, and OTC desk, Kraken has got every option covered for you. There is no better place to buy Bitcoin. Find out more at Kraken.com, or download the app. It's available for the iPhone and Android. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. Also, we have BlockFi, the future of Bitcoin and financial services. And with BlockFi, you can open up an interest account and earn money on your Bitcoin. And I've got one of these accounts, and I've earned nearly a Bitcoin in interest over the year, which is super cool. Also, using your Bitcoin as collateral, you can take out a USD loan, and you can also fund your BlockFi account directly from your Bitcoin wallet. And with the new BlockFi mobile app, you can fully manage your account on the go, accessing all the services from your mobile phone. They've got so much more stuff coming. It's going to be another huge year for the company. If you're interested in checking them out, I do recommend you do your own research. Then head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. All right, man, we need to do some Bitcoin in before we finish this. <laughs> All right, what do you got? Do you started there, but I wanted to talk about Roger. No, you tell me, what do you think is going on right now? Look, we, we had a 2017, you know, 2018, we, we went through some good times then, then we had, the, had this bear market that seemed to go on forever. Now, like, we seem to be back on the rise. The timing seems right in that we seem to be coming out of a bear market. And also, you know, there's there's definite signals within the market for why people should be investing in scarce assets. I'll say that broadly because I still believe gold has a role to play, play despite what other people think. But like, what do you make of what's going on? Before I answer that, and I forget, if you listen to my podcast, you should go subscribe to Peter's podcast, What Bitcoin Did. He has awesome guests, and he's awesome, as you can tell. So please go subscribe, and vice versa. If you listen to Peter's podcast, go subscribe to mine. That's the whole no, point of bullshit. us doing a joint podcast. No, no. Once you subscribe to mine, you don't need pumps anymore. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. It's so funny. You know, I troll. You know, I troll the fuck out of you. I love it. Yeah, but like some people don't get it. They like think they think it's real. Well, you know, you know what you have to say to those people. Oh, it, we're having fun. You won't like it. Right, like. <laughs> all right, come on. Uh, Tell me about Bitcoin. Right. What do you make? What so, do you make of going on that? Uh, this was the easiest call in history, and yeah. and I say that half joking. But last year, I wrote multiple times in May, June, and July about we are ending. We are getting near the end of an economic cycle. Right, we've been in this long ten-year mm-hmm. bull market, all this stuff, uh, and at the end, central banks only have two tools to deal with uh, that downturn. They can manipulate rates, or they can print money. And I said, look, I think that they're going to have to do that at some point in the coming months. It is likely that it is going to coincide within a 90-day window of the Bitcoin habit. And so 
one of the things that I wrote was dropping rates, printing money, and the halving all occurring around the same time will serve as rocket fuel for Bitcoin. Now, there are plenty of people who are going to hear me say this. and They're going to be like, well, how did you know a global pandemic was going to happen? I didn't, obviously. right? Nobody knew. But that simply served as the catalyst to drive the end of the bull market. So there was already a bunch of issues. You had inverted yield curves. You had all the repo market gyrations and kind of structural issues. You had an all-time record high of CEOs leaving their roles. Like There was a bunch of these issues or, or alarm bells going off all through the end of last year and into the beginning of this year. So we were getting towards the end. It was just a matter of what was going to be the thing that accelerated that or caused it to happen. Um, And so now what we see is a world where gold, Bitcoin, real estate are all going to do really well, right? Because you simply can't print trillions of dollars of a currency and have no impact on that currency. And so guess what? We're literally seeing the exact theoretical uh, kind of uh, impact of quantitative easing become reality. They printed trillions, the dollar got weakened, and when the dollar weakens, asset prices all explode. It's not because all of a sudden the business is worth more money. It's literally because the dollar is being devalued. Same with Bitcoin or gold. There's not much that's changed from June 1st to January 30 or to July 31st with Bitcoin. Right? The halving had already occurred. It's pretty mm-hmm. much doing exactly what it's supposed to do. What's changing is one demand, right? So there is some change in demand because of what's going on in the macro environment, but also the dollars being devalued. And that's where you get an explosion in price. And so I tend to think that that thesis from 2019 of they're going to continue to keep rates low, they're going to print money, and having occurred, I think that 2021 is going to be absolute chaos uh, in terms of a very uh, high, volatile, upward price movement of Bitcoin. But ultimately, it doesn't matter. Right. The U.S. dollar value of Bitcoin doesn't matter. This is a game of accumulation and it's going to end up being what percent of the 21 million Bitcoin do you own? Right. Like that. That's what I think of. I don't worry about the U.S. dollar value. All I continue to think about is what is the number of Bitcoin I own divided by 21 million? And when you think of it that way, all of a sudden you start to realize, do I own more or less than I did yesterday or the day before or the week before or whatever? And if you have that mentality, kind of a Bitcoin-denominated mentality, I think you'll end up doing pretty well. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I never think that I've actually got particularly a large amount of Bitcoin. But if I looked at the gold market and my percentage of Bitcoin was in the gold market, I'd be like, fucking hell. I mean, I'm good here, right? So this is a bet on that. It, it, and, and look, here, here's what I continue to tell people. Name to me a business that was analog and got digitized and the digital version is smaller than the analog version. (laughs) It doesn't happen, right? And it's because digitization brings all kinds of advantages. It's a market-expanding technology. And so, you know, there are people who debate what the size of the gold market is, but let's just use easy numbers. Let's say that it's $8 trillion. That puts Bitcoin at, depending on how many are lost or stolen or whatever, you know, 400, 450,000 US dollars today. Do you think that Bitcoin's only going to be the equivalent of the gold market? I don't. No. Right? It, it, it's better. It's going to capture more market. Now, when does that happen? I don't know. That might take 50 years to happen. Right? But when you think of it that way, you're like, okay, again, don't worry about the in individual day-to-day price movements or any of that stuff. Just look at the underlying structural uh, kind of foundation and then look at how does technology evolve, right? This is a 
uh, a, a technology evolution story in terms of market adoption and things. And we've seen it play out over and over and over again. Airbnb, biggest hotel, yep. doesn't own any hotels, right? Uber, biggest taxi company, but doesn't own any tax. Like we've seen it happen so many times. Uh, and I don't think it's different this time. What, what, what's the equivalent? Like Bitcoin, the biggest bank doesn't own any branches. Yeah, or, or, or in the sense of um, if you think of Bitcoin as uh, one day, I believe we will say Bitcoin is the largest currency in the world in terms of mm-hmm. uh, market cap, and it will have no one controlling it, right? Like, like I, I fundamentally believe. I My worry is I won't be alive to see that day because it may take yeah. that long, right? That's annoying. At, at In my early 30s, Let's say that I live a great life. I got 50 years, right? Is Bitcoin going to end up uh, uh, kind of ascending to the global reserve currency status in the next 50 years? And will we see it eclipse a $80, $90 trillion market cap? I don't know. But if you said to me between now and the rest of human history, you know, humans future potential or, you know, future years, Absolutely no question in my mind that's going to happen. It's just will it happen in my lifetime or not? And so, by the way, if it doesn't happen in my lifetime, still being along for the ride is going to end up being pretty good, I think. Yeah, because it's like we're, we're along for half the lifetime, right? Like of, of getting there, of getting there. Like the next, yeah, I'm pretty sure with my 10-year thesis, in 10 years' time, I'm going to be very happy with my investments. I think my kids are going to be even happier and want me to, to die because – they're going to have all my Bitcoin, but I, I think we're going to be happy. All right, man. Well, listen, look, what will it take to change your mind? <laughs> you said this at the start. What's going to take to change your mind? Are you following the DeFi stuff? Or are you like, fuck that? No. All right. So hold on. We need to settle this for a second. I'm not against DeFi at all. I actually think it's going to be super, super valuable Again, it's like when Roger and I talk about a digital decentralized currency ended up being adopted globally. Super important thing. It's going to happen. That's, you know, quote, unquote, the finish line or the goal or milestone or whatever. Uh, It's just how do we get there? That's how I feel about the DeFi stuff. DeFi, and I think part of my issue with how it's being categorized right now, is the Ethereum community thinks that they have a monopoly on that terminology, right? They're using DeFi as a synonym for Ethereum. And it's not, right? And, and it's why I say things like Bitcoin is the most valuable DeFi application. And they all freak out. What do you mean? Blah, 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 whatever. Decentralized finance, right? The core of finance is money. <laughs> and yeah. the most decentralized, most valuable application that is decentralized is Bitcoin. So mm-hmm. it's intellectually dishonest when they say, no, it's not. And ultimately what they're saying is that they're upset Right, they, they don't want DeFi to actually be successful anywhere else other than Ethereum. And so we've made plenty of investments in companies that are building on top of Ethereum, that support Ether, that uh, use some version of a decentralized application or, or do something. Right. So, again, don't listen to what I say. Just watch what we do with the money. And we're making investments. So we obviously think that there's value there. But I'm not convinced that DeFi is an Ethereum-only thing. Right. Obviously, Bitcoin, it proves that. And so what you end up getting is you end up getting this um, religiousness about DeFi that completely ignores reality and also is intellectually dishonest when talking about it. Mm 
And so what I think is going to end up happening is that is going to be detrimental to that entire space. What I hope occurs is that there's enough people who are rational and who kind of understand the structural pieces and that it ends up not actually mattering, right? But if you if literally you can go, I tweeted the other day and said, Bitcoin is the most uh, valuable uh, DeFi application. And literally it was like a bunch of ETH trolls just being like, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about, whatever. Like, do you understand Dude. what the definition of decentralized finance is? Are you triggering Bitcoiners and ETH heads at the same time now? No, because I think that I think that Bitcoin people have this belief that if something came along that had more market adoption and had better core um, kind of aspects to it than Bitcoin, they they want to see a digital currency succeed, right? Mm-hmm. And so I don't think actually that Bitcoiners for the most part are married to the idea of Bitcoin or nothing, right? I just think that they're very, very convinced that Bitcoin is the solution. And by the way, the market has validated that. Yeah, okay. On the DeFi side, many of those people I do not believe actually are DeFi or bust. I think that they're Ethereum or bust. And I think that's very dangerous. So what would it take to change your mind that Bitcoin is the only... I I think that there's three key... Yeah, there's three key, key things. So one is uh, a self, like a very serious self-inflicted wound in terms of some sort of bug or, or something introduced in the development process of Bitcoin, right? So it's no, no, I'm, I'm like I'm like the other way. I'm saying, what do it take to change your mind that like Bitcoin is the only thing you should focus on and put money into? Me, meaning, what would it take to convince me to do something else? Yeah, just for forget all these shit coins and oh you're saying what would it take to convince me that bitcoin is the only thing worth putting money into yeah oh i mean look that's what basically what we do we we hold no tokens in uh from an investment standpoint uh other than bitcoin right the the actual investments that we make are uh bitcoin i, I own nothing other than bitcoin and so oh, it's, I, th- I thought you were putting money into DeFi stuff. Are you putting it into companies building into, on it? Into companies ah, yeah, into okay, companies yeah, yeah, yeah. right so like that that's my whole thesis uh is Bitcoin will be the next global reserve currency. Don't know how long it takes, but that's going to happen. And then what actually the value that accrues is into the infrastructure, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so it goes back to the same example of like if you invested in the seed round of Kraken or Coinbase or you know, any of these companies and bought Bitcoin on the same day, the equity investment actually has outperformed the just holding Bitcoin. Interesting. So when you look at it from that standpoint, it's like, okay, hold on a second here. Now, you can invest in 10 early stage startups and nine go to zero, and you got to make sure you're in the one that actually does that, right? So there's some nuance Mm -hmm. to to it, but it's just a belief that infrastructure is always uh, a much, a very valuable kind of profitable strategy. And then Bitcoin is going to be more valuable in the future than it is today. That's my belief, right? And so are other things going to go up? Of course, like it take uh, Ethereum, for example, right? Or Ether. Everyone's yelling and screaming about how it's going up in value so much. Well, yeah, of course, because Bitcoin is going to lead in terms of Bitcoin having and the money printing and all this stuff will move. And then the smaller market, well, the, the smaller market cap assets will just move more in US dollar terms. But I think that, that like what it shows is those people are looking at this from an investment return perspective. I think that the Bitcoin community, like you said, they're not going to sell. 
right? That the a number yeah. of bitcoins that have not moved in over a year is like 64, 65%. It's the highest it's ever been. Mm. They're not going to sell. And so it doesn't matter what the percentage changes if you're not going to sell. Because ultimately what you're doing is you're denominating how many Bitcoin do I have? I don't hear a lot of people in other assets in the crypto world talking like that, right? And so what what ultimately ends up occurring here and I think is very important is when you look at a market, when things go down, the, the, the blue chip large market cap assets move down the least, right? And all the small caps, they you know fall really fast. When you then go into a bull market, the large caps, they move the least, right? And the small caps explode up in value. It's a market cap thing. And I think that's what we're seeing in crypto. So if you said mm-hmm. to me, you know, uh, am I surprised that whether, or I'm not even going to name some of the other ones, but there's plenty of them that, that are, you know, exploding. It's of course, because if I took a million dollars and I put it in that versus a million dollars in Bitcoin, of course, I'm going to move the market much more of the small cap asset because it simply got a smaller market cap. And I think that's what we're seeing play out. Again, not a bad thing. It's just that it, it, if you're a student of history and understand how markets work, like not surprising. I, th- I think we got a new all time high this year. I, I could see that. I, I don't mm. know if it's going to happen. Like, uh, you know, look, the, the only thing, have you said any sort of uh, anything around price other than all time high by the end of this year? N- no, because it's so difficult. It's, you know, I was having this conversation with my son yesterday. It was like, like I said, look, there's people who think the price can go to, you know, 30, 50, even $100,000. He's like, he was like, would you sell some? I said, well, that's a really tough thing because you could sell at 50 and it goes to 100. So I just don't sell. I just, I just know that I, a bit like you said, you, you know, what's your percentage? I just need to know I need to have as much of it as I need and then I'll sell it when I have to sell it. And that's yep. all I'll do because I have to sell it at that point. Until then, I, I, I won't. But I, I think we're going to a new all time high this year. But I think if it happens, I think it probably happens before the election, which I know sounds soon. But to be honest, based on the previous time we went from 12 to 20K, it was pretty easy. Um, but I think it happens before the US election because I think I think the stock market has to stay at a high value for Donald Trump, which means, you know, and, I mean, they're negotiating another stimulus package, right? So I just think there's going to be a lot more money, trillions more printed before the US election. And then I think we'll get a new all-time high before the election because of that. And I think people are very aware now. I think the gold price has been very helpful because I've been telling people about the Bitcoin price. They don't care. Tell them about the gold price. They understand. And then you talk to them about Bitcoin being digital gold. In terms of where it can go, I've got no idea. I don't know what like happens to liquidity. So say if Bitcoin's at like 100K and somebody thinks, shit, I've got one Bitcoin. I'm on 100K and they might want to sell it. I don't know if that people have that kind of like psychological reaction to it, and therefore you've got a lot of selling pressure. I don't understand all that stuff. All I do think is I think we get a new all-time high before the election. I could be wrong, and I think next year is going to be fucking crazy. What about you? So the short-term stuff's much harder, obviously. Uh, yeah. The only number that I've said is uh, I do think we'll hit a hundred thousand U.S. exchange, uh, you know, price or, or value by the end of twenty twenty-one. So. December 31st, 2021, we'll have hit 100K. We'll still be above it. I, I have no clue, but like that will have happened beforehand. I definitely can see a world where uh, the current administration essentially, you know, people hate when I describe it this way, buys votes by continuing to pump the, uh, the equity markets because it's not really of pumping course. the economy. 
it's the easiest thing they can do. It's the best campaign that yeah. they can do, right? Is if you're sitting there and 50 plus percent of the country says, I'm getting rich, right? <laughs> of course, I like this guy, right? Like, I don't care about all the other dumb things mm-hmm. or whatever everyone's complaining about. Like, I, my, my portfolio keeps going up, so this guy is good for me, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of people who, who disagree with that. They're not happy that people think that way, but at the same time, uh, I think generally people are very um, kind of self-centered and they say, who's going to do the best for me? And the, the, the crazy part of all of that is there's a scenario. Again, I'm not necessarily convinced that this is the scenario, but one of the possibilities is they absolutely pump the asset prices going into the election. And as soon as the re-election happens, they basically take their foot off the gas and there's some sort of crash, right? Yeah. In asset prices. Possible. But, but who knows what's going to happen? I think that the, the beauty here is the one thing we know for sure is that they are only making 900 Bitcoin a day right now. And yep. six months ago, they were making 1,800. And so if demand just stays the same, naturally the price has to go up. If demand increases, yep. the U.S. dollar price has got to go up. And if they're going to print money, I think demand's going to continue to increase. Who wins the election? I think Trump wins in a landslide. Really? Oh, yeah. I don't think it's close. Two, two reasons. Yeah. Uh, if you turn on American television right now, nobody's talking about anything but Trump. It's the exact same thing that he, he did before. right? He's just dominating headlines. Uh, and the second thing is I think that the current Democratic nominee is one of the worst people they could have put forward. Oh, it's uh, terrible. You know I've got half a Bitcoin on him losing. On Trump losing. What, yeah, what's your so- argument for why he loses? So I had it on, I've got it like about threefold, right? Um, I think the timing of the pandemic second wave is terrible for him. I think that's really bad for him. I assumed, I thought the Democratic Party would replace Biden. I just assumed they would because it's so obvious he's not the right ca- candidate for the job. I mean... Yeah, as everyone has pointed out, he he can barely talk sometimes. He's obviously got cognitive issues. So I assumed they would replace him. I kind of thought Cuomo would get it. And I'm not, it's not that I'm a fan of the guy. That's the other thing I have to be uh, um, say to people. It's like, I'm not a fan of the Democratic Party. I thought Trump was losing. That's why my bet was I'm betting on Trump losing it. So I thought, I, I thought, it, was, um, I thought it would be mainly down to a better candidate coming in, Trump kind of having his meltdown, and basically the pandemic being very bad timing. I'm not as confident as I was because it feels like Biden's going to get the nod, but I just assumed they would be replacing him. I, I completely agree. I mean, imagine imagine a debate between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. You, oh, you'd, have, you'd, have to get out, you'd have to get out the crime scene tape. Like, <laughs> he, yeah, would, he kills him. And, and by the way, that's not necessarily me saying that he's even going to say anything of substance, right? It's just he'd just literally bully the hell out of him. Uh, and and he, he understands how to get the uh, the soundbite, right? And people, I think, are confused in like the debates or things. They think that it's about who has the better policy. That's not, not what it's about, right? No. It's, it's basically who can literally overpower the other person and can get the soundbite and, and can make people laugh and be, you know, likable, all this kind of stuff. It's crazy, absolutely crazy, but that's just the world we live in. I think there's another thing that doesn't work in Trump's favor, and I'm not into this whole like election manipulation and uh, voter fraud. I think there's from when I looked at it, when I did my Mnuchin work, there's things going on on both sides. I just think I think 
people being able to or choosing to vote from home or, or having to vote from home because of the pandemic, that really suits the Democratic Party over the Republican Party. From everything I've seen, Republicans want to get out and vote in person and Democrats are more likely to, you're going to see a higher voter turnout on mail-in votes with uh, Democrats. And that's why I think Trump's scared of that. So that's another thing I could throw in there. But look, it's fascinating. It's like... I actually think that you're right in the sense of, yes, getting more Democratic votes is bad for Trump. I think that I would argue more people will not vote. So here's one of the things that uh, I think people... I think the argument is that if you have mail-in voting, more people will vote. I actually think it's the opposite, which is although we all think it's easier to get the piece of paper, fill it out, mail it in, I think there's a lot of people who just want to tell me where to go, right? Oh, no, I'm I'm with you on that. But I think whilst you might get a lower turnout, you get a bigger drop-off with Democratic – sorry, Republican voters. If there's a lower turnout. If if it's mail-in voting – it's worse for the Demo- it's worse with the Republicans because Democrats are more likely to still use the mail-in vote. Yes, yeah, co- completely yeah, agree. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's a lower voter turnout, but it's it's skewed in one way. But here's yeah. the crazy part: is Biden hasn't chosen a VP yet. I know, and, I know. And so what I'm wondering is, I, I don't think it's over yet in terms of their ability to switch him out or to make him the VP. I think Cuomo. Uh, would be a natural potential person for them to put in. Uh, I think that he's got a very, very big problem on his hands, though, in terms of there's tens of thousands of people that died in New York because of his decision to send COVID patients back into the nursing homes. And I think yeah. that the, the Republican Party is sitting on that. They have not hammered him on it yet. And I think that if he gets put forward, you're going to see P- – I mean they're going to absolutely eviscerate him and say you know, there's blood on your hands and, and kind of like go after him. And the sad part is like, why do I think that? Because I think that we haven't seen the mud throwing yet. And like, this is going to get really nasty. And when it gets nasty, there's going to be all kinds of accusations. Like you haven't seen the Bill Clinton Epstein stuff yet. You haven't seen like all of this is is just kind of waiting out there. You could see the ingredients. And uh, like starting in September, it's going to be like game on. They're going to throw everything at the wall, both parties. It's going to be nasty. And then we'll get to the election. Well, I do hope the planes are flying because I, I, I want to be in the U.S. election night. I think it's be I want to be there for a few days. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. I don't really have like I've got a bet, but in terms of if I wasn't having a bet, I, I couldn't honestly tell you who I would prefer. I, I I don't I'm not a fan of either. I probably I mean I naturally feel like I swing Republican just because you know I like I like Republican states a lot. When I've been to places like Texas or when I went up to Wyoming, I just really liked it. I kind of felt felt really at home in those kind of places, but look, I don't know, dude. It'd be what it'd be. I think they're all the same. Yeah, and but I also I I literally think they're all the same. What's the difference between Joe Biden and Donald Trump? I well, it's not in terms of him. I think the politicians are all the same, but I like in terms of kind of like Republican ideals. It's a little bit more like leave me the fuck alone, let me get on with work. But okay, so I agree that idealistically that that is what is happening but a perfect example is uh right now we're looking at a situation where the republicans and democrats both want to print trillions of dollars in the next stimulus package right yeah on that 
I th- I'm thinking more like if you ask me, do you want to go and live in Portland, Oregon, or do you want to go and live in I don't know Austin, Texas? <laughs> well, no, Austin's Austin's got the same problems. Dallas, Texas. I go to Dallas right now, um, but maybe like I don't know, like Jackson Hole. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I I I would not want to go to any of these places where these crazy people are losing their shit and rioting every day at the moment it just it's a real turnoff and i i like portland i had a i've had a great time in portland uh, i like austin a lot but i just don't want to be around these places it, it's surreal in the, in the sense of that you know being a white dude who was born in america grew up here uh was in the army the whole thing and then you kind of see the videos Yeah, you know, i told Plain at one point like it's almost like you can't believe that that is America, right? Like you used to see those videos. Uh, I think I saw one uh, from Portland, right? And not, I'm not an expert by any means on kind of what's happening there. So, so you know, kind of no, no judgment in that sense. But uh, what they showed in the video, if it was real and, and all those things, you would expect to see in like a war-torn country, you know, somewhere else, right? That didn't have yeah. democracy and kind of all this crazy stuff. And you're just like, man, what is going on? Well, at least in, the, in I guess, in the, those places, do you think you... You would understand what they want or what they're fighting about. I've got no idea what they, what the hell they want there. So, anyway, bro, listen, look, I gotta go and uh, I gotta go and make dinner for these kids. All right. Well, tell them I say hello. Uh, well, you should do an duty. episode with your kids. I did a little one on um, did a little one on YouTube once. My son the other day asked to buy some Bitcoin. Really? Because he's been yeah, because he's sixteen. He's been working. He's earning a bit of money, and I was like. No, mate, you don't need to do that. You, you get all my Bitcoin. But uh, yeah, no, he's interested. They understand, they understand a few things. They um, they know who Satoshi is. They know there's 21 million. They're interested, dude. So hey, they need that, some dinner. That, that's that's pretty good that they know all that. All right, yeah, my man. friend. If Tell you me, listen like, to the Pump Podcast, go <laughs> subscribe to what Bitcoin did. If you listen to what Bitcoin did, go subscribe to the Pump Podcast. Peter's a legend. Thanks for having me, man. Pomp, always good to see you, man. Hopefully see you in New York at some time soon. And say hello to that lovely wife of yours, man. And yeah, go listen to Pomp. But just if you don't want to listen to Pomp, just stick with mine because mine's a bit better. <laughs> <laughs> see, see you later, guys. bros. Take care. All right. What do you think of that one? It's always great fun to catch up with Pomp. Like I said, I absolutely love that guy. And I speak to him a lot in private. You know, we help each other out. Well, actually, mainly he helps me out. Um, I'm always firing him over questions and saying, oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. What do you think? And literally every time I do it, he's like, all right, speak to me in an hour or speak to me in two hours. He gets on and he gives me loads of help. He's a really great, genuine dude. And you know what? He has some great insights into the markets and what's going on in the traditional finance world. And yeah, honestly, like I say, I love the dude. Um, He's so helpful to me and he takes a lot of shit from people, but I appreciate what he's doing. He's bringing people into the market. Um, I don't agree with him on the shitcoin stuff, but I do agree with him on the Bitcoin stuff. Anyway, thanks for listening to the show. As I said, this one is going out on mine and out on his. And if you haven't checked out Pomp's podcast, then give it a listen. It is nearly as good as mine. And if you want to reach out to me, if you've got any questions, hit me up on hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Outside of that, have a great week, and I will see you all soon.